0: Gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. We are here to help you discover your purpose as you live your life according to Jesus' way, provide clarity on why the world is the way it is, and build confidence that you're living out and sharing the best way to be human on earth with your friends and family. Pastor Doug has spent his whole life researching and engaging with the world to help followers better understand the world around them and Uh to better communicate the hope of Jesus. I'm Jesse Merrill. I'll be your host. And without further ado, adieu, please welcome (laughs) Pastor... (laughs) (laughs) Ah.
1: Take two. Uh,
0: messed it up. Adieu. Adieu, adieu, adieu. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. We are here to help you discover your purpose as you live according to Jesus' way, help you provide clarity on why the world is the way it is, and build confidence that you are living out and sharing the best way to be human on earth with your friends and family. Pastor Doug has spent his whole life researching and engaging with the world to help followers, better understand the world around them, and better communicate the hope of Jesus. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host. And without further ado, please welcome the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas
1: Peak. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone. I'm so glad to be with you today. I just love doing this podcast. I, I love... uh Uh, bringing history and philosophy and research into a deeper understanding of who Christ is. Because I believe once you know him and you start to walk with him, your life will never be the same. And I'm completely optimistic. A lot of people out there are really concerned about the direction of our country, as we should be. People are really uh, concerned about what's happening to their families and societally, the influences on their children, as we should be. But even in the worst uh, and darkest times, we have an eternal hope that uh, can bring a sense of optimism and regardless of how bad things get, allow us to live in joy and to live in peace each and every day. So um, part of the reasons why I'm so optimistic is because bad ideas always have bad outcomes. Right. And people can see now the result of so many of these bad bad ideas. (laughs) ideas. And so that always helps bring about a revival. So I'm very optimistic. I'm glad that you're listening to the Salty Pastor. And I hope that it helps you grow in your faith so that you know what you believe and why you believe it.
0: Well, and I think it's important to note that, you know, learning these biblical principles really challenges us to be stronger people. So we're not uh, finding these weak excuses or following the the culture. We're, we're growing our faith. Oh. We're becoming stronger characters and individuals. Um, and we're really just maturing in our faith. We kind of talked a little bit about that in the Bible study um, that we started on Tuesday. Um, we were talking about the second half of... Um, the second chapter of 1 John. There's a lot of numbers
1: associated with that. Yeah, there's a lot of there.
0: But um, on Tuesday, we discussed how people today are Gnostic in the way they're thinking. Yes. Um, One example is that people believe they can choose what they believe about reality based on their own internal guidance or Mm -hmm. their own truth. Nothing objective or proven to be true, but just what they feel. Yes. Um, So I guess my real question is, what's the... We're in the second half of this chapter where John continues this refutation of this new religion based on Greek philosophy. What, what, how is this applying to us today?
1: Well, uh, obviously, in the second half of the first chapter, we see him being uh, specific in his refutation of some of the claims. And so to understand it, you kind of have to go back and you have to find out what they claimed which can be difficult at first because today no one knows anything about Gnosticism. When you bring it up, you know, people are like, what in the world are you talking about? Just making up words now. Yeah, even though the Bible, if you say the Bible, everybody knows what that is. If you say... The New Testament. Everybody knows what that is, whether they believe in it or not. When you say First John, now there might be a little bit of confusion between the Gospel according to John and First, Second, and Third John, but that's quickly cleared up. But what people—they have no idea what Gnosticism is. Now, back then, it was a big deal. There was a a man uh, in the second century named Valentinus, and Valentinus was. Uh, trained in the school of Alexandria, which is uh, Alexandria, Egypt, which was probably the largest Christian academic kind of school in all of Rome at the time. And what was really fascinating is he grew up there. He became a follower. He then really got steeped. Then he moved to Rome, and he was very active in the church there, and he kind of moved up. And he, he was a, uh, a bishop. And that means he oversaw a bunch of other pastors. And then the head bishop of Rome, and this is before Christianity was legal, so there wasn't really a pope or anything, but kind of the head bishop of Rome over the whole church there, uh, the people would pick, you know, kind of affirm uh, the next bishop. And he wanted to be that person, and he was overlooked. So according to an early church father, Arranius, he said that he, in a fit of pick, which means P-I-Q-U-E, in other words, he was angry in a fit. So he leaves the church and starts his own religion. And a bunch of people follow him initially. And he really tried to bring together this concept of platonic dualism together. And he really got into all of this stuff. But, um everything he did <clears throat> everything he taught died away nobody knows about it today why is that because it was weak and weak things always die when things are false they're weak when they're based on deceptions they're weak when they uh, appeal to the the base side of humanity they're weak you know we see this throughout history across the board, over and over over again. Weak things always die, but strong things always continue to grow. And so our calling should be, uh, you know, become strong. Not in the, the world's definition of strong, because you look at the world defines strength as political power, let's say. Political mm-hmm. power, political power. You get political power and you have strength. You can change things and make things right or good or whatever you want. But what's interesting is that, political power fades you know nobody can tell me who the the uh, premier of russia was in the 50s nobody knows right right i mean and so who and who, who can name the well, now,
0: honestly i couldn't even name the president in yeah. the 50s <laughs> who was the
1: 32nd president of the united states no idea no, no idea you know who was the eighth president of the united states mm, nobody knows nobody knows <laughs> But see, political power fades, but it's really interesting. Some American
0: history buffs are screaming Scream- yeah. the, in their car right yeah. now as they listen to this. Some guy
1: who's memorized the presidents, and he's waiting for that one time at the party. He's like, this is
0: my time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you guys are ruining it. I'm sorry to burst your brother bro, uh, bubble, bro, but it's just not going to happen here. So my point being is that political power, you know, empires have come and gone, you know. Um, who knows anything about the uh, Umayyad uh, islamic caliphate nobody knows anything about it you know and
0: and i think it even it even goes towards like even fiscal power like there's people that have money that are influencing these things but most people don't even know who they are because it's they're they're just funding things and you don't know who they are and they eventually disappear as well like you they might have a building named after them but there's lots of presidential libraries that are named after presidents and (laughs) as we've established I don't know past the last four (laughs) exactly so,
1: so yeah exactly and why is that because worldly power fades uh earthly wealth fades what the world defines as strength and power isn't really strength and power because it can fade you know Uh, moth will destroy it. Rust will destroy it, as Jesus says. But what has grown over the last 2,000 years and continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger and has more people a part of it than ever before? It's got off track, but it always comes back to the truth. Isn't that weird? It, It gets off and then it comes back. It'll get off and then it will come back. And what is that? Christianity. That's right. The church the church of Jesus Christ. And so it's really amazing that way. And so it's all about strength and true things are strong. Pure things are strong. Uh, authentic things are strong. And if you remember in our last series, we were studying the book of Acts where the apostles were uh, suffering and being persecuted by the Sanhedrin. And one of the guys named Gamaliel had this argument.
0: Gamaliel's argument, which I definitely knew how to say his name before this podcast. 100%.
1: (laughs) But Gamaliel's argument was basically, look, if this is a thing of man, it'll die out because all things of men die out. But if it's of God, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. And so you look at over the last 2,000 years of history and you see what has been authentically true just in, in one of the proofs or the facts of this is the ongoing growth of the kingdom of God.
0: Even despite persecution, I think that's where the real definition of strength comes from is that wow. perseverance through hardship. I mean, you know, you hear about these these Christians in China who are being persecuted for their faith and it's growing like crazy. Yeah. We did a great series last summer called Faith Strong and we told some some stories of some members of our congregation who went through some devastating things in their life and mm-hmm. they Continue to persevere. They continue to pursue their faith. And I think that's really strong. I yeah. think it comes down to this perseverance. It's not it's not bodily strength. It's not some guy that's just super shredded walking around. It's not this political right. power. It's not money. It's this true, authentic perseverance, despite what might be going on in your life. You follow those truths. You follow what you know is right, and you persevere. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, strength. It's all about being strong.
0: So I think the issue is is that because our culture is so tied up in this, well, we never want you to feel guilty. We always want you to have your own truth. It doesn't encourage any perseverance. It's basically a get-out-of-jail-free card or an easy out. It's like, oh, well, we don't want you to work too hard. Here's a participation trophy. Yeah. And if you think you won, then you won. And, yeah. you know, we don't keep score. And it just turns into this thing where you never have any kind of need to be perseverant. Or it's the complete opposite and you're always persecuted all the time because the system and the world is out to get you and it's always Uh somebody else's fault. It's never my fault. Somebody else is after me. So it's either... You never have any struggles or the entire world's against you mm-hmm. and you need someone to help you get out of that because and fix why the world is And And based on what you,
1: you just said, it's really important. What I have found is when you grow up in a situation where there are no problems and you never have to struggle through anything, in your adult years, you become the second. Right. It's always somebody else's fault. The world is against you and you're a victim forever. Absolutely.
0: So what would John say causes us to be weak instead of strong. We've kind of talked about the culture influencing that, but what does John say about this?
1: Well, he basically says when you separate what you believe from how you act, this is going to create weakness. And it comes from the Gnostic ideal back then was that it was just what you thought, Mm. right, that allowed you to climb this ladder of secret knowledge and then eventually... Uh, get to God or become God or one with God or what however they 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 identified it at the time and and so your behavior became secondary right right it did it didn't really matter because it was is a purely intellectual uh, ideal an intellectual process and unfortunately today our, a uh, society kind of is adopting the principles of Gnosticism that create weak people. Uh, it weakens them. And these beliefs are sold in a way to people. This is why people believe them. Cause if you showed up and you said, Hey, I got these ideas. And if you buy into them, you're going to become a weak person. You always feel like a, vil- a victim. Uh, no one's going to buy it. Right. But if someone shows up and says, wow, um, if you think this way, you'll be a better person. If you think this way, you'll be a more tolerant person. If you think this way, you'll be a stronger person. But in reality, when you believe into these ideas, you become a weaker person person. And so what I mean by that, and I think this is what John would say, is that you, when you buy into these ideologies, you lose the point and purpose of your life. You can't answer the question anymore with clarity. This is who I am and why I am here. So things become senseless. They just become uh, so many shades of gray that you can't see anything. The world just becomes
0: gray, Right. So... There's this belief that's going around, and I, I actually just had coffee with um, a, a crew member, a staff member over at Boise State. Um, they do college ministry, and there's kind of this idea floating around, especially in colleges, that there's just all these ways to get to heaven and to get to God, and you just pick whatever way you want, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Oprah kind of talked about it. I think you told that story um, during your sermon last Sunday. You were talking about, you know, Oprah said, hey, you can kind of there's, there's, many, there's ways, many ways to get yeah, to heaven. There's all you know, different ways, yeah. And I think this has just permeated our society because nobody wants to hold anybody's feet to the fire. They don't want that guilt you talked about. They just mm-hmm. want everybody to go, well, just do you, and it'll all work out in yeah, the end. Yeah. And you know, it, mm-hmm. there's no accountability anymore um, for people's actions or the way they think or anything like that. And and they 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 offer it under this idea and this premise yeah. of well, people are going to be better people and they're going to be more peaceful and more loving. If we're just not holding them accountable, if we just kind of let them do whatever they want and we're just really accepting of all thoughts and processes and you just kind of do whatever. And it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I see where that could be an enticing thought, but it's really just, again, you're just not yeah. holding any accountability for what you do. It's just a, Oh, well, we
1: just don't want to. Yeah. We don't want to ruffle feathers. You do you, and I'll do me, and it'll all be awesome.
0: Yeah, you just got to exist and make it through life, and you'll get there. And it's another participation trophy of yeah, yeah. <laughs> of That's life. heaven.
1: Heaven is a participation pr- trophy. You you survived life in your own way. Good for you.
0: Yeah. So why is this belief so prevalent, and what does it claim to do that makes us better people, supposedly?
1: Well, I, I think the reason why it's so popular is I've said this before is that. Uh, Every American has been trained to think like a deconstructionist or a skeptic. You know, we're we're uh, skeptical of truth claims. So when someone says, "Wow, this is the way to heaven," people are like, "Yeah, maybe you're just trying to exercise power over me." And how do you know that's true? And blah 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 blah. The and you're problem you're making me feel bad. And yeah, but like it. but the the principle of uh, but uh, but the bottom line is is that when you do that. Uh, And so what they're saying is that, well, there's not just many ways to get to God, but every way is just as valid as the other. And so when you make all choices equally valid, then what's the point of choice? Everything becomes gray. There's no red. There's no blue. There's no white. There's no black. There's no chartreuse or mauve or there's no orange. There's no nothing. It's all one shade of gray, just bland. It's bland. Everything becomes bland. And when something is bland in life choices, then life becomes meaningless. It becomes senseless. So the principle that there are many ways to get to God turns everything bland and senseless uh, because it's built on three falsehoods. Uh, The first falsehood is it has a false premise. And the false premise is that all religions are basically the same. Okay. So if all religions are basically the same, then my own personal choice of whether I want to buy into one or not, or or believe nothing is just as equally valid. And so of course this is completely untrue because religions are not the same at all. Uh, If you were to, I think the word religion throws people off. uh, What we ought to do is say that there are worldviews, right? Okay. And all worldviews are not the same. They are dramatically different. How the world started. What is the nature of reality? What is the nature of humanity? What does it mean to be a human being? Are human beings sovereign, free, moral individuals or not are they just pawns
0: it, it shapes your entire way of experiencing life it's not exactly. just what you're doing on a sunday or if you know if you're re- it's if your a religion exactly. meets on a different day but it's, it's your worldview you it's the goggles you see everything
1: through the goggles through you see everything and they're not the same everybody's got i mean got these goggles are radically different right okay uh so it's a false premise the second thing is it has faulty logic and that is, it says, well, there are many ways to get to God. Then logically you're saying, well, I get to choose how to get to God. But if there is a God, wouldn't he be the one who decides how you get there? Right. So it'd be like this. So you're having a party at Jesse's house and you say, hey, come over to my party on Saturday night. And I said, okay. And then I, you know, Kim, my wife says to me, okay, we're going to go to Jesse's house in uh, for the party on Saturday night. And she says, did you call him and get directions? And I say, of course not. There are many ways to get to Jesse's house, <laughs> you know? And the, the fact that I don't have your address, I've never been to your house before. Guess what? Am I ever, ever going to find your house? No. No. So in my arrogance, I'm going to end up somewhere and go, Oh, I'm out in the middle of nowhere in some neighborhood I've never been. This is Jesse's house, right? (laughs) Like, there's no Jesse here. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see that? That's that's the faulty logic here. Is that there's no the 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 logical process is illogical. Finally, it's built on the false notion that uh, that God can be God when I decide how I'm going to experience God. You see, this is a contradiction because what it does is it redefines God. It makes God who I want him to be, not who he actually is. And so when I am worshiping myself and I create something as a manifestation of myself, it's not altruistic. There's no archetype. There's no goal. There's no higher calling. There's no nothing. It's just simply a figment of my imagination. So when people say there are many ways to get to God, the, implicate, uh, the implication is absolutely clear because of all this senseless thinking, and that is every way is devalued. And those who participate in every way is devalued. Therefore, you're not bringing peace. You're not bringing together. You're not propagating an idea that brings people together. What you're doing is propagating an idea that makes people senseless and mm. meaningless. That is where conflict comes from. That where war comes from. That's where the baser desires of control and oppression come from. Right? The strongest get to tell the weak what to do. This is where bullying comes from. So when you say, oh, there are many ways to get to God, you think you're just spouting a bumper sticker that says, you know, world peace, love everybody. But what you're actually doing is you're propagating a belief that creates the seedbed for conflict, hatred, division, and power plays, oppression, victimization, slavery. The list just goes on and on and on and on and on. And it all comes from this silly notion that you think you're doing what's right. But in the end, what you're actually doing is making everyone weak. So John would say to this, um, simply that there are, when you say there are many ways to get to God, when you think Gnostically, what you're doing is you're challenging the very authority of Jesus Christ. God is light and in him there was no darkness at all. We have one advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Meaning he is the one who, uh, uh, lobbied on our defense, paid the price so that we could be at peace. With God. It questions when you say there are many ways to get to God, you are insulting Jesus like never before. You are questioning who he was, you're saying that he is a liar, you are saying that what he did. Uh, is irrelevant. You're saying his sacrifice is unimportant. He never conquered death. He never conquered the grave. He has no power to be the atonement for your sins. So when somebody says in their benign little smirky face thing, oh, there's all these ways to get to heaven, that is a direct affront and insult to the lordship, the deity of Jesus Christ, who he was, who he is, and who he is to come. Uh, Everything about him, is personified in the fact that he is the truth. He is the way. There's no other path to God because Jesus is God. And to say anything different is to buy into something that will make you a weak person.
0: Well, I, I think it's been really eye-opening thinking about this, this seemingly benign thought of well, there's a lot of ways to get there, which you like hear people say, and you're like, oh, well, that's you know, What let them nice. have that? Yeah. You know, they'll figure it out. But really, what they're doing is they're they're really devaluing everybody's thoughts and and, right. and processes, and the whole like you said, atonement. And so then, I get why nothing feels everything feels bland it's like I've heard a lot of people that said when they had COVID and they lost their 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 taste taste. it was like the worst experience ever because they're like I'm I'm putting stuff in my mouth and it could be (laughs) it could be lettuce and tuna and I would have zero idea and it's the same as if it was a five course meal like and it's like that's what I feel like is going on with life is everybody lost their taste and now everything's just like eh this could be the best or worst thing in the world for me and I don't know and I don't really care.
1: Yeah, I have bland it's like it's like trying to watch football and not being a fan of any team.
0: I mean, I sometimes do that, but (laughs) (laughs) just for the Super Bowl. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean how can you be totally But I also just don't really care. Like I'm like I don't I don't don't really care. Like I can get up with the hype a little bit, but I'm like I'm not following them throughout the year. I don't really have any it's like, okay, they lost cool or yeah, they won. So, Yeah. Okay. Cool. So
1: now I can have talk at the water cooler at the office. I know.
0: I do feel like I need to be a bigger football fan <laughs> to belong at this church. So
1: <laughs> We do love football.
0: Um, so why do you think people are so susceptible to these bland, senseless beliefs? Like we've talked about how miserable it's making people and how unenthusiastic it is to participate in what's bringing them in still.
1: Well, I, I think that people are just trying to figure out life and I think that people are struggling finding meaning in life. And someone comes and says to them, hey, look at all this conflict. People generally don't like conflict. I mean, any mildly psychologically healthy person is like, yeah, I don't like conflict. I don't know. Who wants, you know, when you're young, you know, he's like, man, I want to go to war and test my strength. You know, everybody else is like, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't want to get in a fight. I don't want to yell and scream at people. It's too stressful. I don't, uh, I want to be in conflict. And then, so people are like, yeah, I want to be at peace. So that's a drive of saying, I want to be at peace. I want to live at peace. Right. Well, What happens is then you have this drive within you and people come and say, you know why there's no peace and why there's conflict and hatred? Well, it's because of people believing in God or it's because people have all these narrow ideas of how you're supposed to live. And people go, yeah, that's it. That's really it. I was listening to Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell is uh, at the Hoover Institute at Stanford University. Mm. And what he is is he's a scholar, and he's written tons and tons of books, and he's an incredibly intelligent man, and he's like in his late 80s now, um, early 90s. He's, he's been around a long time and it, as an intellectual in America, very, very well-respected person. And I was listening to him tell his story of how he got started. Out and what's really interesting is he said, I was growing up, you know, in the fifties in New York, and I would get on this bus and I would ride to the my government office internship job, and what I would do is I would uh, experience uh, this, you know, high end Park Avenue lifestyle, right, and then I right. get on the bus and drive back. And then I would see the squalor of the tenements of, of parts of New York before they, you know, a lot of them have been reclaimed now, but back then they're in really bad shape. And he said, and so when I was a young man, I read Marx and I was a communist. And he said, I, I thought this explains the social and economic discrepancies that I'm seeing. Right. So what it was is he says, right, in my first thought, when I first became aware of this, this was the first explanation I had, and I believed it. He said, but then I went and got a job working for the government, you know, um, that next year around, uh, and I was given a job to do and it had to do, uh, he goes into this economic principle and he says he thought about it, thought about it. And he came back and he said, in order to understand the impact of this government policy, we need to understand. And he said, this data point. And he said he was completely shut down. And they, they didn't even want to know the answer to that question. He goes, in that moment, I realized that uh, I wasn't a communist at all. And he's, he, he's one of the strongest advocates of free market economies, liberty, uh, and all of these types of things. And what I find really interesting is that in the same way we are sucked into these ideas, there are many ways to get to God, in the same way he was sucked in because you see it initially and you go, oh, that's got to be the answer. But as soon as you dig into it just a little bit, you go, Oh, it's actually the opposite. Um, like, like for instance, uh, this, this, uh, I'll, I'll continue this, you know, analogy. And that is why is it that when you live in a free market economy, in a free market economy, like America right now in America, we have capitalists, right? Correct. We also have socialists. You know, Bernie Sanders runs on a socialist platform and a bunch of people vote for him. Uh, You can also be a Marxist. We have groups in America that are open Marxists. You can also be a communist, you know. Uh, Case in point, if you are socialist, you can move to New York or California or Massachusetts where the taxes are close to 60% when you aggregate them all together. You get more services, right? There's more support out there. So you can do that. Or you can move to a state that's more free market and says, well, we're not going to provide a lot of as many services, but your taxes are low and you have the freedom to go out and make your own way and keep your own money. And that attracts a lot of people. You can do both in a free market economy. There are people back in the 70s that formed communes you know there these were big back in the 70s oh i'm gonna go join a commune you know i've
0: heard this phrase before
1: and so people would go to california they'd go to oregon or they would go to washington or they would go someplace even in new mexico they'd form these communes and they were communist they they would set up a communist economy right there is it is so in a free market you can have capitalists, socialists, or communists. Today, if you want to be a socialist and you want to have the workers own the means of production, you can start a company that is owned equally by the employees. And then when there's profit, you can uh, disperse it equally among, you know, you can have a pure socialist structured company, right? Right. So my point is, is that only in a free market can you do all of these different things. But if you go to a communist country, guess what? There's no socialism, there's no free market, there's no capitalism, there's no nothing. It's communism or nothing. And they have a tendency to kill the people and throw people in jail who don't abide by the communist manifesto. In a socialist country, you can't be anything but socialist. And I know that communism and socialism are very, very similar, but... People who are communist in practice, but don't want to be called that, call themselves socialist. Um, so what they do is is that they won't allow anything else. Okay, no one is allowed to be anything else than a socialist. And so, in a communist country and in a socialist country, in a government-controlled economy country, the bottom line, when you strip it all away, is is that you don't own your labor. This is the definition of slavery from the beginning of time. You don't own your labor. Mm. Therefore, you're a slave. It doesn't matter what name you put on it. It doesn't matter how you spin it. And so the only time where you can be a free individual is when you own your own labor. And you get to do with your labor what you want to do with it. That's the only way that we are truly free people. Now, you can't get to this notion. You can't get to this concept if you buy into just this really silly idea of, well, I see disparities and I think Karl Marx explained them the best, so I'm going to go with him. Well, I hate to tell you this, but we got a hundred years of what happens when you apply that and it's the most evil, devastating thing to human beings ever. And so trying to deny that just means you're an intellectually dishonest person. So you see, I'm bringing all this together for everybody who listens and that is this, is that when we buy into ideologies that are weak, into authentic, deceptive, or false, we become weak people. We become sheep. We're easily controlled. We're easily deceived. And yet in the end, history is a taskmaster because it's not thinking, it's all history does is records what happened. And what happened is all weak ideologies disappear. And only those that are strong, only those that are courageous. And they're strong and courageous because they're built on the truth. They are built on authenticity. They stand the test of time. And that's what John would say. John would say that we know him who has been from the beginning, And he brings us a new command to love God and to love one another. And when that becomes the driving focus of your life, it doesn't matter what you do, you will become a stronger person.
0: And I think it's really important to just, no matter whether it's your views on economics, on politics, or on how you get to heaven, it's important to make sure you're getting the real truth and not just getting bandwagoned on by an idea that yeah. seems the right way to do something or the easy way to do something very mm-hmm. rarely is the right way and best way to do something the easy way i Correct. sometimes have to tell your son that when he's helping work up in the production <laughs> things he's like well it would just be easier if we did it this way i'm like but is it the right way is
1: it the right way yeah, there you go and then he
0: usually says okay yeah no it's not the." he's right
1: growing way.
0: He's, he's learning he's awesome he's learning i very rarely have to have that conversation with him anymore but <laughs> i think we can all learn from that thought is it easy or is it right so yeah, there you go um Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, we will uh, encourage you guys to experience the third part of the Salty Pastor each week, which is joining us for a message on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church in beautiful Boise. Make sure you're having some conversation with your with your friends and family. Some of these ideas are new, shiny, and or very easy to get attached to <laughs> yes, so once you can start breaking them down with your people around you they might start realizing oh this isn't what i thought it was or this isn't what i signed up for so we encourage you to have those conversations even if they're hard mm-hmm. but they're important to have so thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you on sunday here at foothills christian church
1: okay, blessings and signing off